Revolutions Per Minute is a weekly radio show from the New York City chapter of the Democratic Socialists of America, recorded live at WBAI 99.5 FM in Brooklyn every Tuesday at 7 p.m. RPM is about doing the work, the work to build a democratic socialist future. Each week, hear the latest news, analysis, and organizing experience from the minds and hearts of activists fighting every day in New York City. Join the movement at socialists.nyc. Hello, New York. You're listening to Revolutions for a Minute, live from the new WBAI Studios, a socialist radio show and podcast from members of New York City Democratic Socialists of America. The Democratic Socialists of America is the largest socialist organization in the United States, with 95,000 members nationwide, and NYC, DSA, is its biggest chapter. We are run by our 9,000-plus members and organizers who are working together to build democratic socialism in all five boroughs. I'm Chris Carr, he and pronouns, and I'm a union member with UAW, SWC, Local 2710. And I'm Lisa Shi. I use she, her pronouns. I'm an eco-socialist organizer with Tucson DSA. Earlier this month, voters nationwide went to the polls. In Ohio, the right to reproductive freedom with protections for health and safety listed on the ballot as issue one passed with 57% of Ohioans voting to codify a right to an abortion, contraception, and other reproductive rights into the state constitution. In a clear rebuke to the near total ban on abortion pushed through by the far-right Republican Ohio legislature in the wake of the Supreme Court Dobbs decision. While here in New York, voters elected their city council members in DSA-endorsed incumbents, Tiffany Caban of District 22 in Queens and Alexa Aviles of District 38 in Sunset Park, won resounding bids for for re-election in their districts. Tonight, we will hear from Julie from Cleveland DSA about the statewide effort across several Ohio DSA chapters to mobilize voters to the polls in support of reproductive rights. We will also be joined in studio with Steph from NYC DSA Electoral Working Group and Anna from the Aviles campaign to to discuss the citywide races and what's in store for DSA electoral politics in 2024. Also, a bit later in the show, we'll be taking your calls at 212-209-2877 if you'd like to join the conversation. We have a great show for you tonight, but first, the headlines with Caroline Van Zeitz. Hello, listeners. This is Caroline with your headlines for today, Tuesday, November 21st. In Eric Adams' scandal news, Winnie Greco, a close aide to Mayor Eric Adams and his director of Asian Affairs, is accused of trading jobs and access to the mayor for money and personal favors, including renovations on her home. A former FDNY chief told FBI investigators that he felt pressured by the Adams administration to approve a new Turkish consulate building despite safety concerns. In local news, Mayor Adams announced a series of steep cuts to the city budget, totaling 5% across the board and impacting critical services, including reduced summer programs for youth, eliminating Sunday library hours for all but one branch, and cuts to universal pre-K as part of a $1 billion cut to the Department of Education. Brooklyn State Senator Kevin Parker, who has a history of legal troubles, including previous assault charges, has been accused of sexually assaulting a woman in 2004, according to a lawsuit filed against him. The lawsuit was filed under the state's Adult Survivors Act, which allows adult victims of sexual abuse to sue their abusers. Negotiations between the New York City Council and the new Council Staffers Union, which have been going on since May of 2022, are held up over language regarding whether workers can be fired at will. Charges were dropped against Republican City Council member Ina Vernikov, Brighton Beach, who brought a gun to a pro-Palestinian rally at Brooklyn College last month when the gun was deemed to be inoperable. A look into the enforcement of New York City's plastic bag ban, first passed in 2020, found only small fines and warnings issued to repeated offenders. 
management at five of New York City's public defender offices have taken steps to punish employees or preemptively stop employees and their unions from making statements expressing solidarity with Palestine. After the city council overrode the mayor's veto on a package of legislation designed to expand rental voucher eligibility for New Yorkers facing eviction, the Adams administration has yet to take any action on implementing that legislation. A group of progressive elected officials, including all members of the NYC DSA Socialists in Office, sent a letter to Columbia University calling for the reinstatement of Students for Justice in Palestine and Jewish Voice for Peace, two groups suspended for holding a quote-unquote unsanctioned protest demanding a ceasefire in Gaza. In election news, Assemblymember Juan Ardia, District 37, Western Queens, has filed to run for re-election in 2024, even though he is facing a sexual assault scandal. Ardia will face DSA-endorsed Claire Valdez, and there is speculation that another candidate backed by the Queens County Democratic Party will also emerge. For Revolutions Per Minute, this is Caroline Van Zeitz. Now back to the studio for today's show. Thank you, Caroline. Our headlines are brought to you by The Thorn, an incredible weekly newsletter by NYC, DSA, Electoral Working Group, covering local politics and radical activism. Subscribe at thethornnyc.substack.com. First, we return to my interview earlier this week with Julie. Uh, Julie is a member of Cleveland DSA, and since this summer, she, along with her comrades in Cleveland, DSA, and DSA chapters across the state, worked to mobilize thousands of voters to get to the polls to support Issue 1 in Ohio. Let's listen in. Julie, thanks for joining us on Revolutions Per Minute. Thanks so much for having me. Can you tell us a bit about yourself, your political journey through DSA, and what was it ultimately that led you to the fight for reproductive rights? Yeah, so my name's Julie. I use she, her pronouns, and I grew up in a pretty rural area of Ohio. Didn't grow up on a farm, but there were farms around me. And it also was an area that is pretty, you know, Christian, Catholic, religious in general. My family, I would say, was very conservative democratic. So, you know, working class, you know, probably in its past, most of my family voted Democrat. But in Ohio, I feel like there's a pretty large portion of Democrats that are are pretty conservative. So you talk about the Midwest, like Midwest values type of thing. I would say we also, you know, our family and friends were pretty anti-choice, you know, when I was growing up or just, you know, what they would call pro-life. So that was, that was what I grew up in, Um, kind of, you know, abortion is bad, you shouldn't have abortions. Um, But also, again, being a little more democratic leaning party wise, we were though pro-sex education, pro-contraceptive. It was more about, you know, getting the resources for folks early so that you wouldn't have to have an abortion. That was kind of the mindset um, where I grew up. You know, I went to college in Akron, so that's a little bit of a bigger city. That was a big city um, compared to where I came from. And I wasn't, I still wasn't very political. I definitely considered myself someone who, quote unquote, didn't get involved in politics. But I was, you know, definitely a Democrat and just going through college, getting more life experience, I became, you know, pro-choice in just that, again, a little more conservative, kind of like, oh, I wouldn't get an abortion, but if other people want to, that's their choice, you know, just the classic, like, pro-choice. But again, I was still pretty um, not political until 2016. As many uh, liberals were, I was shocked that Hillary Clinton lost the presidential election I did like Bernie in 2016. I liked his message, but wasn't completely sold. And to be completely honest, you know, 2018, 2019, I was still of the mindset that like socialism was bad. You know, that was a bad word. Oh my gosh, communism. What is that? Um, It wasn't really until 2020 that um, I kind of personally got politically radicalized Uh, where obviously, you know, the pandemic just changed everything for everyone, kind of realizing what a mess we were in just as a country. And, and then really the, the summer, um, 
the murder of George Floyd was my biggest turning point. And I've been active in just different volunteer opportunities through my life. And so when that summer hit, I just said, okay, I need to find a group that's like doing good in my area. I want to get involved and volunteer for a group that I think is going to make a difference. And really found found my home in DSA. We have a pretty strong chapter for our city. I'm very proud of our chapter, obviously. And uh, yeah, just found like-minded people and and saw that this was a group that not only was doing good in the city and the surrounding area, but also was not just here to uh, mobilize, you know, during a campaign season and then disappear. We really had built, the, and the people who had come before me had really built, you know, a chapter that was about staying, you know, staying and mobilizing the working class and organizing the working class in Cleveland. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, thanks for that. It's great to have you on. And we were saying a bit earlier before we started that, yeah, I also joined DSA in 2020. It just seems like post-2016 to 2020 was a, really a, a time where a lot of people were starting to look at the politics of DSA quite seriously and, and was able to pull like quite a few people at, like into the fold. But of course, like we're, we're here to talk about this past election day here in Ohio where issue one was on the ballot. So for those who who don't follow Ohio politics that closely. First of all, what was issue one and why did Cleveland DSA decide to make issue one a priority campaign? And how did this statewide effort that stretched across several Ohio DSA branches begin to take shape? Obviously, everyone was, well, we were not surprised when Roe was overturned, but I think a lot of people in our state were were surprised and disappointed when um, the Dobbs decision came down. And there were protests and there were people in the streets. It was a big deal here, just like it was everywhere in the country. And before Roe was overturned, Ohio was one of the states that had a law on the books. Um, we had the six-week abortion ban or the heartbeat bill, it was called that legislators had put into place, um, restricting abortion at the six-week mark, which um, as many probably listening know, you you don't even know you're pregnant at that point. Most people don't who who get pregnant. So extreme abortion ban. Uh, Again, everyone knows the story about the 10-year-old in Ohio that had to cross state lines to get an abortion. And that was extremely unpopular. That ban, you know, it kind of flew under the radar until Roe was overturned, which is when it kicked into place. And when it did, it it was extremely unpopular. We did not coordinate with the statewide campaign for issue one. We were like an independent campaign, as they call it. But I I do want to give props to um, Ohioans United for Reproductive Rights, which is the campaign that put issue one on, on the map. And what I thought they did that was very smart was when they first filed to get petition signatures. So in Ohio, you can put something on the ballot by getting, you know, a certain number of petition signatures from registered voters. And when they did that, they did it as a constitutional amendment to our state constitution. When I was growing up, we were always a purple state, right? We were a true swing state that could go either way. And in the decades since that was a reality, Republicans have taken over the state house and they have gerrymandered the whole state and and control the Ohio state house. But we are not a a red state, really. Uh, I think we still are a very true purple, maybe even bluish purple state. And Ohioans have voted twice now to say that the maps that have been drawn and gerrymanders are, are illegal and we don't want them. I just say that to, one, explain a little bit about why we are the way that we are, um, you know, gerrymandered, and and even though we have voted twice to say we don't want that, and to say that this was a very smart um, political move to do it as a constitutional amendment. Many of the Ohio DSA chapters wanted to get involved and started collecting petition signatures. We kind of did it on our own, even our own chapter. It was just like a few members that were going out and collecting petition signatures. And that was kind of early in the summer. And then we started coming together and saying, okay, what is this going to look like? How can we prepare for an Ohio, you know, a November election? And um, yeah, what does that look like for our chapter? 
we kind of have an informal contact network across Ohio, the, all the Ohio DSA chapters. So um, we have a Slack that we talk on and, and kind of just started having meetings between all of us. But we really felt like we weren't going to coordinate statewide. It was going to be, you know, local canvases and local phone banks and, and local outreach. Um, but we wanted to have make sure we had like a similar message. We did our logo together. So we had an Ohio-wide, you know, reproductive rights logo and kind of made sure our messaging was pretty together on that. And we wanted to get involved in issue one because obviously as a DSA chapter, it's our mission, it's our values. Abortion is healthcare, healthcare is a human right. That's a no-brainer. But then we wanted to do it because it's popular. Like I said, it was very unpopular when Roe was overturned. And abortion and reproductive rights is popular in Ohio, just like we're seeing it's popular in pretty much all of the states. And then the one other thing I wanted to mention as far as the history of this, um, so it, it was a petition to change our state constitution, and it was very clear right away that we were gaining way more than enough signatures to get it on the ballot in November. Um, and if anyone followed Ohio politics, again, the state house run by far-right Republicans, they decided we're going to do a special election in August. It was also called Issue 1. It was before November was called Issue 1. So we had Issue 1 in August. And no matter what they said, it was crystal clear to anyone who cared about reproductive rights that this was a direct retaliation against what was going to happen in November. So what they tried to do in August is they tried to change the threshold to take it from 50 plus one, 50% plus one to change the constitution up to 60% plus one. The other parts that people don't don't know about as much is it was going to take the threshold for collecting petition signatures. Right now you can collect them. It's a percentage of voters who voted in the last election from uh, 44 out of the 88 counties in Ohio. And it was going to change it to 88 out of 88 counties in Ohio. So you would have to get petition signatures from every single county uh, to get this on the ballot, which also hurts rural voters as well, if you think about it, because they'd have to go to the big city counties to get. So it, it, it didn't make any sense, too. So it was an extreme measure. It would have made changing our state constitution impossible. Ohio voters saw through it. I mean, it was crystal clear the Secretary of State, Frank LaRose, said in an interview, this is about abortion. He said about the special election, this is about abortion, which is coming in November. And the the conversations that we had before August was not just about abortion. It was, why would we, ma why would we change something and, and make it so much harder down, down the road to do anything in our state? Why would we do that now? I mean, again, it was clear what, why they were doing it. But people saw through and saw that there were going to be lasting consequences for this special election in, in August. So I think, honestly, I was telling people, I think that helped us in the long run because it fired up so many people. It was so radical that we had, you know, record turnout for a special election in August. Because people who may not be following Ohio politics all that closely, you know, there was an issue one, which is being voted on in August, and then there was a different issue one, which is being voted on this month. And and they flipped, too, yeah. by the way. So we had to vote no in August on issue one, and then we had to tell everyone to vote yes on exactly, issue one yeah. in November. Yeah. Very, very confusing from the outside. But I, I think you also raised a very, very interesting point about how this shift to thinking about Ohio as, as like a, a quote-unquote like red state is a fairly like recent change because you know I'm you know I, I'm old enough to remember when when Ohio went to Obama twice in in 2008 and in 2012 and so even though if you look at who's in charge in the state house or or who won in the most recent senate election it may give the impression that Ohio is this incredibly you know conservative state so now that election day uh, is behind us and issue one passed you know quite convincingly and resoundingly across the state, enshrining abortion into the Ohio State Constitution. I guess, what has this experience taught you? And if there are any lessons that, that you think will be worthwhile for, for your chapter going forward? And do you have any advice for other comrades in other DSA chapters 
fighting for abortion rights in other states? I would say start earlier than you think you need to. We voted in our priority campaign with membership um, at our June general meeting. So that was at the beginning of June. And then that was, I think, literally right when we got thrown the wrench of the August special election. So we had to spin up our campaign so quickly. Um, and we ended up knocking almost 2,000 doors in July, which was huge for us. Um, we did get it spun up very quickly. And the only way we did that, I, I had had some previous experience doing um, electoral work. And uh, we had maybe one or two other people. But for the majority of our members, we did not have a lot of experience. So we were flying by the seat of our pants you know, learning a voter database and how to make our lists and how to cut turfs and, you know, how to do outreach. I mean, we had done outreach for our previous campaigns and campaigns being just things that we were working on. So we did, we did like a, a housing eviction campaign um, from 2020 to about 2022. But this was our first, like I said, our first real big electoral campaign if we didn't have that August special election, I think it would have been a little bit smoother to to learn the skills we needed and learn the data stuff behind there. But as it so happened, you know, we just kind of had to spin up very quickly. And, you know, as we were going through, then we got um, some help from some a contact from National who helped us out and some other things that kind of extra training and things like that, that realized we did some things wrong in July, but it was like, well, it's okay. We're, we're we kind of move forward. So I think starting early is pretty, is a pretty good um, rule of thumb. And then also, you know, kind of be unapologetic. I think that people are ready for a different message. They're ready for a different message from the big D Democrats. And we can we can speak to that. I think we can very easily speak to that on this issue. And this is a popular issue. You know, another thing with the campaign was that the other side was trying to tie in trans issues with this, stating that this was going to allow children to get surgeries without their parents' consent. I mean, it was just so much misinformation about the issue. And that's not a winning message either. So, you know, they saw it on November 7th across the country that, that the Republicans trying to be anti-trans and, and anti-reproductive rights, anti-choice. It, it, it's not a winning issue. Our side is the winning issue. So don't stray away from that. Don't be afraid of that. And don't try to hide from what we're trying to do and what we're trying to win for people for the working class. It's a lot of structure you have to put in place to, to run a, su a successful campaign. Um, we had, you know, weekly meetings, weekly campaign meetings. We did weekly canvases. I mean, from the end of June through November with just a small, maybe three or four week break after the August election. And that takes a lot of coordination, a lot of work. But our campaign leadership did a really good job setting up, you know, at the beginning, okay, who's responsible for what, you know, when are these due, when are all these little tasks due every single week? Okay, every single week, we have to send out texts. Every single week, we have to make phone calls. Every single week, we have to cut turfs and have our materials ready to go. And if you can divide and conquer that work, it, it, it makes it just so much easier um, and avoids burnout. I mean, not only were we successful, we involved um, over 110 individual people in this campaign. Either they came to a canvas, a phone bank, a meeting, several of those things, right? So we did great with member engagement. Between the two elections, we, I think, knocked over 5,000 doors. We made hundreds of phone calls. So we were extremely successful in that. To top it all off, three of our campaign leaders are not burned out, and we're actually running for chapter leadership next year. So if you can find a way to run a campaign without <laughs> burning people out, just giving people grace to say, you know, hey, I can't commit to every single campus, but I can commit to 
making sure we have an agenda for each campaign meeting, you know, something like that to then keep that knowledge in your chapter. So then, you know, we're sticking around, we're going to be here, we're committed, we're going to share that knowledge for the next time. Because I'm, I'm sure we'll do an, another uh, electoral campaign. We proved that we could, we proved successful. And now we have that knowledge. We're going to we're going to document all that knowledge, but also the people who ran it are not so burned out that they're going to <laughs> disappear and take all that knowledge with them. Julie, this has been a great conversation and thanks for coming on Revolutions Per Minute. And it's really heartening to hear that there are so many great people over there in, in Cleveland fighting the good fight and doing the important work. Thanks for sharing that with us. Yeah, thanks for, so much for having me. Um, super proud of my state. It's kind of rare that I get to say that. Super proud of my state and uh, really proud of my chapter. I, Cleveland DSA are for life. I love them. You're listening to Revolutions Per Minute on listener-sponsored WBAI in New York City, broadcasting at 99.5 FM and streaming on your favorite podcast app. Today, we're doing a deep dive on the election day that happened earlier this year. You just heard from Julie from Cleveland DSA, and coming up very soon, we have Steph and Anna um, to talk about New York City victories in city council. But, you know, if you're a regular listener of RPM and WBAI, you know we got to do it every show. We got to ask you to do your part and and chip in. Um, If you appreciate this kind of content, pitch in and and help us stay on the air. Um, You can do that by calling 212-209-2950 or going to WBAI.org. You know, on probably some other stations in the mainstream media, I'm sure you heard about, you know, the incredible victory in Ohio um, to protect um, reproductive health care rights. But what other station is bringing you the in-depth, the dirty, how, you know, people actually want a campaign? I was so impressed to hear how quickly that campaign, like to launch a campaign in June and win in November is is insane. Um, and so hopefully if you're hearing this kind of content, you're realizing that people can build power, we can challenge um, the establishment, we can go farther than center Dems. Um, but it takes people power, it takes organizing, and that means everybody coming together. So, you know, even if it's only a few dollars, you know, please seriously consider becoming a WBAI buddy and supporting shows like Revolutions Per Minute. Um, I'm going to give you that phone number one more time. It's 212-209-2950, or you can go to WBAI.org. And I also just wanted to remind you, we will be opening up the phone lines a little bit later. Um, But first, let's go to our live interview um, with Steph and Anna, who are joining us live to talk about um, the elections that happened earlier this month um, with the city council. Um, So first, if you guys could introduce yourself, um, let people know who you are and some of the organizing you do within DSA. Um, Steph, I'll throw it to you first. Yeah, thank you. Um, My name is Steph McGraw. I use she or they pronouns, um, and I am one of the Queen's co-chairs of the NYC DSA Electoral Working Group. Anna? Hi, and uh, my name is Anna Baker-Haynes. I use she, her pronouns. Um, I just recently concluded my role as campaign manager for Alexa Aviles' re-election campaign. I've been involved with a previous electoral work with the DSA, uh, specifically on the Apasari Tupac's campaign for state assembly. Um, And I've also been involved with um, work in Lower Manhattan as well uh, as part of uh, the organizing committee with Lower Manhattan. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, thanks so much. We're very excited to have um, you both on today. Um, And so the election earlier this month, it definitely happened in a very, very intense political environment. You know, you had the mayor of New York City, you had sitting Congress members spreading lies, untrue things about DSA. Um, And New York City DSA really did not back down from that. And, you know, the night before the election, the New York City DSA Twitter, you know, was tweeting out, pictures and showing how much Tiffany and Alexa um, actually supported Palestine and Palestinian rights. Um, I guess, Steph, we'll start with you and then we'll go to Anna. Can you kind of talk about that decision um, to stay, you know, highlight their pro-Palestinian support um, and what, you know, kind of the results of the election show about about making that decision? 
Yeah, I mean, first of all, um, in DSA, we are led by our values. And so we want to be vocal about Palestinian liberation because it's the right thing to do. Um, but in this case, it also happens to be really popular um, in Tiffany's own district and also where I live in Astoria. Um, you know, a, a couple weeks before the election, there was a huge march, huge march down Steinway Street um, that was pro-Palestine. And so, you know, you could just see there was a lot of energy around this issue in her neighborhood. And I think it really stands out to people that DSA elected officials are actually upfront about what they believe and don't shy away from, you know, some controversial issues like Palestine, Israel, um, like some even other people who would call themselves progressives because they're too afraid of what their constituents are going to think. And I think, you know, the results sort of spoke for themselves. Tiffany won with 69% of the vote. So, you know, clearly her district uh, did not turn away from her because of that. And I, I think, in fact, probably got some new support because she was so pro-Palestine. Yeah, I feel like there's a lot of parallels there, too, with what we just heard with Ohio, you know, like, do not be afraid to support these issues. They're they're very, very popular. Anna, anything you'd like to um, add to that and maybe how it was from, you know, a campaign's perspective? Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, I, of course, agree with what Steph's saying. I think, like, one of the reasons we all love being part of DSA so much is that we stand strongly with our values. Um you know, Tiffany and Alexa, as well as DSA, both have longstanding histories of standing with Palestinian liberation. And of course, like at this moment, um, where our solidarity and action are needed most was not going to be the moment that we decided to be quiet about that. Um, and I think we all know, like, there is rising support for Palestinian liberation. Um, but I think, like Steph was saying, this win also shows us that, um, our voters really, really appreciate that we stand with our values. Um, I think it shows um, how much people appreciate our transparency and accountability. And I think that it kind of proved to voters um, that they could trust Tiffany and Alexa to be the people that they say they are when they're running, um, that they will continue to stand for the issues and the people they represent. Um, even when it's not like politically convenient for them necessarily. And um, I think that builds trust with voters. Um, I mean, it definitely does with me. I'm really proud to work for electeds like Tiffany and Alexa. Um, and I think that the voters were really proud to reelect them as well. And I'll just say like Tiffany won with 69%, like Steph said, um, Alexa came in with 66% of the vote um, and a lot of other folks representing um, or standing with Palestine came in with even higher um, percentages. Like Chiose came in with over 90% of the vote. So it's definitely a, a strong moment for us. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I, and I, I agree all around. I, I do think there is value in, in standing with your values, you know, and, and really making that clear distinction between where you stand and where the, the, the corporate centrist Democrats may also stand on these issues. And so having, giving DSA that ability to define itself uh, in this political landscape is, is incredibly important. Um, but I'll, I'll throw this both, I'll throw this first to Anne and then to, uh, to Anna, then to Steph. So in your conversations with voters um, during the campaign and also uh, throughout this whole election process, what were some of the other issues voters in Queens and Brooklyn cared about during this election and how can socialists in office deliver uh, on those issues now that we've been sort of reelected and put back in power. Yeah, thank you. Um, so I would say like the conversations that we were having with voters um, really highlighted public safety and street safety as priorities uh, for folks. Um, but I think it's important to kind of tie those conversations back to a conversation about the budget cuts that we're seeing right now at the city level. Um, I think we're watching the mayor continue to like dramatically cut funding um, across the city to vital resources. Um, and I think that it was really clear in this election that voters are concerned about what that means for their well-being, the well-being of their families and their broader communities. Um, I think one thing that our city socialists in office do really well and our socialists in office across um, New York um, do really well is make connections clear to folks that we're all safer and healthier when our communities have adequate funding and resources. Um, and so I think that a lot of the enthusiastic conversations we were having with voters this election cycle 
um, came when we were able to kind of highlight important investments that our social center office are winning for us. Like Alexa was able to win some of the largest investments in local parks in recent years um, and got really um, much needed funding to upgrade local schools. Um, and I think people are really enthusiastic about continuing to support electeds that are going to have those hard conversations and continue to do the difficult work of not just maintaining our city funding, but actually expanding it um, to resources that we know New Yorkers need, like affordable housing, quality education, um, affordable and functioning public transportation. Um, obviously, the list goes on and on. Um, but I think that there's a lot of energy right now um, around continuing to fight for a city that you know funds dignified lives for New Yorkers. Steph, did you have anything to add? Yeah, it's it's funny that, you know, um, we're in a, a completely different part of the city, but the issues are very similar. I mean, and I think with public safety in particular, a lot of that is from, you know, the, the mainstream media and the Adams administration really pushing this narrative that, like, you are not safe in New York. And so um, something Tiffany has done is, you know, she's taken that concern seriously, even if like some of it has sort of been overhyped. Um, she knows that people have a very real sense of a lack of safety. And so she's met with different community groups. She has uh, met with small business owners and just tried to get a sense of like why they're feeling unsafe and what we can do and also try to expand people's conceptions of what public safety is. Because I think we think of public safety most of the time and you think of the cops, but She's, you know, as Anna was saying, talking about like, no, when we actually fund people's needs, that's a very real way we can get to the root cry, root cause of like, you know, some of the ways that, that, you know, people feel unsafe or might be like acting out in a way that makes others feel unsafe. Um, so that was a really big issue um, that people were talking about and that Tiffany really wanted to to talk to her constituents about, um, as well as housing, you know, that <laughs> the cost of living in New York is ridiculous. Everyone's feeling it. And so, um, you know, again, like Anna said, we also wanted to make that connection to Mayor Adams and how he is not doing anything to help the housing crisis and is in fact exacerbating it. Yeah, I encourage folks to go to our Simplecast and check out the episode we did with um, some organizers who have been working with Tiffany's office and Zoran's office around this issue of public safety. Um, it's a good one. We also have plenty of episodes, too, uh, critical of Mayor Adams and what he's doing. Um, and yeah, you know, I've been in DSA, you know, a while and can remember like the days when Jabari ran for city council and did not win. Um, you know, so we're in a, a pretty different place now. Um, it's a pretty big deal that, you know, Tiffany and Alexa got elected. Um, Steph, I'll start with you. Um, can you talk a little bit about like what it says of the state of New York City DSA's electoral working group um, that we were able to make sure that these two socialists returned to office in the city council? Yeah, I would uh, I would say the state of the working group is strong. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think uh, when you have someone who, you know, or like like Tiffany and Alexa, um, two electeds who've been in office, who've done an excellent job, it can kind of, you know, some people are maybe not as passionate about doing the work to get them reelected, let's say, because they, they think it's just like, oh, you know, they'll get reelected. These are easy districts, but we want to have the numbers that we put up. We want to win, you know, with 69% of the vote, with 66% of the vote. And I think that's important because we need to show that, like, you can't just come in and, and challenge them and think you're going to be able to, like, throw a bunch of money and get away with it because we have people that are willing to knock doors. And that's, and that's like, that's really what makes the difference in most of our campaigns is that we have a lot of dedicated members who, again, are guided by their values and they are willing to show up and knock doors, make phone calls, table, you know, pass out literature on election day. And so clearly we had a lot of people who understood the importance of putting up those big numbers to show that we have a People's Republic of Astoria and that we're going to be <laughs> continuing to build a, a People's Republic where Alexa is. I'm in Tucson and I'm very jealous now. I miss all the New York electeds. Uh, Anna, anything you'd like to add about that and where we're at right now with electoral organizing in DSA? Yeah, thank you. I think I'll just add for me, it's really exciting because beyond just mobilizing like DSA membership, 
Um, I think that this these wins really showed that there's real people people power like in the broader New York City community um, that stand behind like the values that we're fighting for. Um, that there are people who really want to see a city that puts people over profit, not just in name but like through action. Um, and that you know there are folks in this country that um, want to see this country invest in the well-being of its citizens and not in the destruction of. Um, our own citizens or folks abroad. Um, and I also just think it's important, like Steph was saying, to continue to fight to keep our socialists in office, in office, um, not just for the amazing work that they're doing, but I think it's helpful when we're thinking, when we're doing forward thinking about re-electing more socialists to office, it's really helpful to have strong examples to point to that's like, oh, if you like the work Tiffany's doing, we're trying we're trying to boost that. That's why we need to elect um, more socialists to office. I think it's helpful um, to have like work to point to um, as we expand in the future. And so it's making me really optimistic, um, not about the work that we're currently doing, not just about the work that we're currently doing, but about um, the amazing opportunities we have ahead as well. Absolutely. And we'll get into that in a second. But first, just to remind our listeners, you're listening to Revolutions Per Minute on this sponsored WBAI at 99.5 FM, broadcasting in New York. We have around 10 minutes left in the show. So at this time, we'd love for you to call in and talk to us to join in the conversation with, with these wonderful people here in, in, the, in the Riverside Room. And so if you want to join, join the chat, please call us at 212-209-2877. That's 212-209-2877. Again, that number is 212-209-2877 if you'd like to join us, if you have a question or comment. Okay, so while we're, we're waiting for people to call in, I'm sure they're, I'm sure they're eager to join the conversation with, with us in this room. Uh, First, I want to. Uh, we've, we've we've had a successful election day. We have you know both of our electeds you know back in office. But looking towards the the future and and what to expect in twenty twenty four, because you know these elections they they have a habit of of reoccurring. So, so looking towards the future, what's next for DSA electoral uh, in uh, in this coming year? Uh, we'll we'll throw this to Steph. Yeah. So. Um, we have endorsed as a chapter Claire Valdez. Um, I know she was she was mentioned in the the news recap. Um, she is challenging incumbent Juan Ardila, um, who you know, as you guys said before, um, is in the midst of a sexual assault scandal. Um, and you know, he was elected um, with the Working Families Party endorsement. So there's still probably going to be an establishment challenger who's going to try to get in there. Um, but we're really excited about Claire Valdez's campaign. Uh, this is in Queens. And then we don't know yet um, if there are going to be two other um, uh, candidates endorsed. We had our electoral working group endorsement vote um, for Ian Huntley in Brooklyn and Jonathan Soto in the Bronx. Um, but, you know, we have a whole democratic process. So we're not quite through that process yet, but it's very possible we'll have two other uh, folks we're going to try and get into the state legislature. Yes, uh, that's that's really exciting. We, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I was, yeah, I was reading about uh, about Claire Claire Valdez a bit before the show, and I think she's an incredible candidate. I think she's also uh, a a union member uh, as well. Um, very very exciting times, I, I think to. Uh, to have like another sort of a fighter for workers' rights in in uh, in in like New York in New York legislature. Um, oh, we got one call in. Hello. Go ahead. We can hear you. Oh, sorry. No, I have to turn off the radio. Um, I am a member of the Cross Union Retirees Organizing Committee, and we've been working to try to stop the privatization of city retirees. Uh, Medicare, we paid our whole lives. And it is my impression, but I hope I'm mistaken, that um, not, I know that Ms. Aviles has been very supportive of this move to stop the privatization, but I believe Ms. Caban has not signed on 
to our requests and to the request to support Councilmember Barron's introduction to 99. I would love for you to correct me and tell me I'm wrong. Yeah, um, unfortunately, I'm not on her staff, so I, you know, I don't know where she is on every single issue. Um, I would suggest that you reach out to her office if you haven't already. I know no, that we, they're we very responsive. No, we spent a lot of time doing that. That's not. It's because we've been trying. We've been working very hard to do this. So. Yeah, um, unfortunately, I don't have any further information on that. I, w I wish I could uh, be more of a resource. Okay. Thanks. Well, we really appreciate you um, calling in. And if anyone else, we still have about five minutes left. We probably have time um, for one or two more calls. Um, that number is 212-209-2877. Um, yeah, and maybe stuff, I don't know. I've just been thinking like every time I think about 2024 and thinking about like the presidential election and like all the mess that we'll be um, organizing in, like what are your kind of thoughts about like, you know, organizing for socialist on this level when the entire country is kind of a word, like I can't say, it's just a big cluster mess. Um, like, how are you thinking about 2024? Yeah, well, uh, a cluster mess is certainly a way to put it. Um, yeah, I mean, I think at least locally, um, you know, as as Anna was, was talking about very eloquently, like we really need to to make sure that we show up for our incumbents and get them reelected. Like this is very key. And so, you know, not only do we have potentially three people that we're going to try to get into office as, you know, proud socialists, we need to defend our incumbents. And we know that um, this year, um, you know, APAC is probably going to go after most of our uh, state legislators and they won't even necessarily you know, use Israel-Palestine, like, in their literature or in their attack ads, they'll they'll use other issues, but it'll be APAC funding. So that'll be something we have to contend with, um, as well as, you know, real estate interests and, you know, just trying to capture voters' attention for state races, which, you know, most people are not <laughs> as into state politics as everyone here. Um, so, yeah, it, you know, we have to sort of contend with, like, most of the attention being on the presidential races and on congressional races and just getting us the slice of the attention for the New York state legislature while dealing with, you know, all of this money um, going to fund our opponents and going, you know, against us. So, yeah, we, we have a tall task ahead of us. But like I said, I think one of DSA's strengths that other, you know, the, certainly the, the Democratic Party itself and, you know, maybe even some other organizations don't have is we have people who are willing to hit the doors. And that is so important. We know that that's what wins elections. And it makes a big difference. People people will note, like, you're the only candidate who I've seen, or you're, you're the only candidate who's had as a volunteer who I've seen face to face. Uh, you know, everyone else will send me seven mailers. And of course, mail is important, but they appreciate that there's a human being they can talk to. And so, yeah, we just, <laughs> we just, we need people to show up. We know we will have people show up, but if anyone's listening and they have maybe, you know, not been involved in an electoral campaign before and are interesting, interested, this is a great time because pretty much anywhere you are in the city, there's going to be someone relatively close to you who is a DSA endorsed candidate. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's probably a, a good place to, to, I think, sort of, nearing the end of the show. Um, yeah, what can listeners do if they're interested in learning more about the activities of the electoral working group or what to uh, get involved with their, with their city council, with their local city council races and learn more about getting more involved in local politics in New York? Uh, let's do step first. Yeah. Um, so of course, I always have to plug just becoming a member of DSA because that helps a lot. Um, so DSAUSA.org, become a member. Um, your dues help support our work. Um, and then you can go to socialist.nyc um, and that'll show you not only the opportunities to get involved with like electoral work, but any other working group that you might want to get involved in in DSA. And if you have any direct questions about how to get plugged into various work, uh, you can email us at electoral at socialists.nyc. Sounds wonderful. Uh, uh, Anna, did you have any lasting words uh, to, or to our listeners before we close out the show? Thank you. Yeah, I also just wanted to plug that there's a lot of amazing organizing through DSA happening um, to call for a ceasefire right now. Um, there are DSA endorsed protests and also uh, 
pretty regular phone banks to call um, other constituents around you to call their electeds and ask for a ceasefire. And so would definitely encourage folks to visit um, DSA socials to find out more about how they, they can get involved with that as well, since I know we did touch on that tonight as well. <laughs> Chris and I are both like unmeeting about to about to start. Um, yeah, um, I'll just add and then Chris, you can take us out that just for me as somebody too, who is now like a little bit removed from New York City DSA. Um, it's been so just exciting to see New York City DSA expand, um, but also to have so many wins outside of the country um, that are not New York City DSA. You know, everybody that I'm talking to here are like, oh, well, you can win there, but you're not going to win in Arizona. Like socialism doesn't fly here. And now I can say, well, look, New York City, D- or not New York City DSA, Cleveland DSA, you know, um, was very successful in, in their statewide organizing around abortion rights. So I'm very inspired. And yeah, I'm just very um, grateful for you joining us today and talking about this exciting work where nationally, um, internationally, things are very dark. Um, but the local and statewide organizing has been been incredibly inspiring. Yeah. And in, uh, Steph and Anna, uh, thank you for joining us. Yeah. Thanks for having us. This has been great. Yeah. Thank you so much. You're listening to Revolutions for a Minute on listener sponsor WBAI and NYC Broadcasting at 99.5 FM and streaming on your favorite podcast app. To connect with us after the show, you can email us at revolutionsnyc at gmail.com. You can find us on our website, revolutionsperminute.simplecast.com or on Twitter at NYCRPM. Thanks, New York. I'm Chris Carr. And I'm Lee Zishi. And... Good night, New York. See you next week. Uh